Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello there, writers. Welcome to episode number 15 of How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. And today I have a special treat. We are talking to my friend Chris Beatty, who you may know as the founder of NaNoWriMo, the international writing sensation that has launched many novelists, myself included, into actually completing a got dang book. So thrilled to talk to him. He's a friend. The interview runs a little bit longer than most of mine, so I'll make this intro quite short. Um, right now, I am just sailing through the writing. You guys, I am up to over 70,000 words of the third book in the Darling Songbirds trilogy, the Lana story, and I still don't hate it. It must have to do something with um, the plotting. Hey, who knew? Um so that's just going great. I should finish it this week. Uh, it's the first draft, which means I won't actually get to an official ending because I never get to an official ending. I never know how my books end until I'm working on the second draft. So I'm in a very dark space. I don't quite know how to get out, although I got a glimmer of it today while I was writing at the library, uh, which I'm continuing to love being at. It's like this really big secret that everyone knows about, um, except for me. I love going to write at the library. One of my friends pointed out the other day, she says, weren't you the one who discovered a couple years ago that libraries will give you books for free to read? And in fact, she was right. Uh, I did discover that, you know, the library was my favorite place in the world growing up. I spent all my time at any library I could be in because um, we just didn't have the money to afford to buy many books. And the library was super keen. And apparently then I forgot about it for 20 years. So now not only do I read most of my books from the library um, because the Oakland library system is cool enough that they will buy books that I request. So that means the author is happy and my pocketbook is happy. And... Um, I've lost my train of thought entirely, and that happens at the end of a writing day. Just one note, this is an audio, not a video podcast this time. I usually have both, but I did not adequately prepare Chris for that, and he had the computer that wouldn't record good video, so you'll just have to listen to us old-fashioned-like. So let's just launch into the interview. I hope that your writing is going well, and enjoy. All right, well, I'm so excited to talk to Chris Beatty today. Hello, Chris. Rachel, how Thank, are you? I'm so good. Thanks for being a guest. It's great to be a guest. Awesome. Well, let me give you a quick introduction, although many listeners know who you are, of course. Chris Beatty is the accidental founder of National Novel Writing Month, which he started in 1999, and he oversaw the event's growth from 21 friends to more than 300,000 writers in 90 countries. I think that's even more now, right? It's some, yes, it some is now ridiculously bigger and, bigger and better number. than ever. He serves as a board emeritus for NaNoWriMo and spends his days teaching classes at Stanford University Writer's Studio, giving talks about writing and creativity, helping companies with content strategy, and endlessly revising his own novels. He is the author of No Plot, No Problem and the co-author of Ready, Set, Novel, and his quest for the perfect cup of coffee is ongoing and will likely kill him someday. <laughs> how, long, how long has it been since your last cup of coffee? Um, 
it has probably been like five long hours. Um, <laughs> but you know, actually on that coffee front, I feel like, so I've been drinking, uh, Phil's medium roast that's called filtered soul. And I get it with, um, with whatever magic cream they use there, which I think is just like barista grade whipping cream. Oh. And it is unbelievable. It, it melts my brain in like the best possible way. I'm not saying it's the quest is over. I'm just saying that, boy, I've found a beautiful way station along, <laughs> along know, on that quest. That's funny. I was just in the city the other day and I passed a Phil's and I got a coffee there and I had never had one and yeah. it blew my mind. It tasted like coffee I've had in Italy. Yeah, it's, you know? it was, it was, it's so good. Um, so anyway, I really recommend that to anybody who, especially if you like darker coffees, uh, the, the fills and I don't really drink it with cream. Usually I'm usually kind of a black coffee drinker, but oh my God, it's so good. It's like a meal. <laughs> and that was actually one of my official questions for you. So thank you for, for, for answering that. You're welcome. <laughs> well, I know that coffee is a large part of your writing process. <laughs> And always has been, yeah. as far as I can tell. Um, what's the best time of day for you to write? Um, so I would say my freshest time is usually like immediately sort of after waking up, um, but really just kind of in the morning. I, th I think yeah. lunch is the time when really creativity sort of ends for yeah. me. Like as soon as I have had a meal, uh, that's about it. But yeah, I think the early morning hours. And in fact, I have been following the, the Rachel Heron prescribed <laughs> 5 a.m. wake up method of writing. Which, I, I was uh, actually pretty bossy with you about that. It was so um, great. I was really – well, so every, for everybody that's listening, so I have been really struggling to make time for my novel revision, which like if you asked me like what's what's the most important thing going on in your life, you know, apart from your your family, what what is it? And I would be like, I need to finish this novel. I've been working on it for so long. Um, and I but I just can't seem to, to make headway on it. And really, the problem is I'm just not making time to write. So it's that I think it's a dilemma a lot of writers find themselves in where they they value it, they know it's important, but somehow they don't do it. And so you and I <laughs> had 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 Thai Thai food, and um, and I was like, "Help me, Rachel! You know how to do this." Like I just the revisions are are just not happening. And so you asked this same wise question, which is, "When do you write best?" And I said, "In the mornings." And um, but I thought I had an easy excuse there, which is that I get up with my son Henry at like six. Like oh, there's there's no more morning there to, to <laughs> occupy but it turns out according to Rachel there is more morning and it starts at five which I've been doing <laughs> for the past month and it's been amazing it's been so good and has hurt so much less than I thought it oh, would oh I'm so glad to hear that so yeah so that's what I've been doing and it's been really really wonderful and I usually have anywhere between 45 minutes to an hour mm -hmm. and 15 minutes uh, to work. It is very close to that first coffee intake moment, which is b beautiful. And how does um, your brain feel when you get to the page that early? Feels fine. Like that's the thing is like I'm I'm not a super early morning person, but it really feels fine. And the the adjustment that I've made is that I go to bed literally like I'm asleep by 9:15 now, <laughs> and that that is what that is my my life. But that's awesome. I'm a I'm a nine o'clock bed goer myself. I really really enjoy that. Okay, right. And where well, do you where do you write mostly? Well, so I used to really be a coffee shop writer, and that um, that was it. Like I really couldn't work at home. There was some just block, and I I do think that um, having a kid changed just sort of like it threw enough 
new things into what I thought was the rhythm of everything mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that, that now, I, you know, it's really like I, for me, the, the, the most productive time is just, I come to the couch, you know, I've got my cup of coffee and my toast or whatever. And so it's really writing at home and which is, is new for me. That's not something that I've really done or been able to do before. I have recently uh, converted a little bit, a little bit to writing at home. And I just, I just did it yesterday because, because of reasons. And I was like, the commute is so short. Why am I trying to get to the coffee shop so hard? It is. That's the problem. It's too short. Like it's so nice to have that, that buffer where you like are committed to doing the thing, but you don't have to do it yet. It's like that. The commute is like this beautiful, very finite procrastination window where you, yes. where you get to listen to some music, you know, what, look out the window a little bit. I don't know. I, I always have appreciated the commute. And in some ways, that's one of the things that I think writers who love coffee shops really appreciate is that it's sort of, you sort of get to ease yourself into that pool, right? It's like the toe, you're dipping the toe in by getting in the car or getting on the bike or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Okay, going a little bit deeper into your process, how do you write? What kind of programs or are you longhand? Are you are you notebook ever? I that's a great question. So when I'm just starting the like what is this next novel going to have in it or who is it going to have in it or what's the premise? That's all notebook and pen. Like really just, you know, making sure I have that very thin notebook in my pocket and I have a pen and so I can kind of like when I see interesting tattoos or overhear bits of conversation mm-hmm. or, you know, miss here and add on TV and, and something <laughs> really interesting um, that I can get capture those. Um, and then when it comes to actual writing, like I'm so not picky, like I use Microsoft Word uh, currently for my novel revision. I'm doing it in Google Docs, which I've never used Google Docs. I didn't think of it as like I think sometimes I, I sort of fetishize digital spaces. Like for some reason, like Microsoft Word just it feels comfortable. I feel like I can really think in there. And then Google Docs somehow is like not, not it. It was too utilitarian. I don't know what its problem was for me. But but now just the, the ability to have it very easily accessible everywhere. Um, I've been using Google Docs. But yeah, and then I also tried Scrivener for the first time this year, and I really liked it and used that as kind of like part of the outlining process. So just that, you know, that's that beautiful ability to sort of put things in the note cards and move the note cards around. I think for like zoomed out strategic uh, reorientation of your story, it's that was so helpful. But I don't know. I really use, put it in, put it in front of me, and I'll happily <laughs> use it to write. How how good are you at going back through those little notebooks? The that's a great question. Um, I do go back through them, and I wonder though if part of it is just that the act of writing it down sort of lodges it in my brain enough that it's it's there. What, what do you think about that? Do you I, actually? I think I ask that because I think about it a lot. I write a lot in my notebook, and I don't often revisit it. I, yeah. I'm, I'm starting this new thing, and tell me if you want to borrow it, but like. When I when I flip through my notebook and I actually see something that will mean something to me later, I put uh, double slash lines next to it, so oh, later I can flip because most of it is just garbage that I'm not going to use. It's just yeah, you know, it's you know, honestly, it's it's lists of what I'm going to get at the store because I can't think about my book, you know. So oh, interesting. Yeah, well, I've started doing something where when I so. 
because I've been on the Rachel Heron plan here and um, I'm revising pretty intensely uh, once a day, um, I've been having a lot of ideas. I find that, that, you know, it's like really that's, that's the unfair advantage of daily writing is that like you just get so many more ideas because you're so much more connected to your story. Mm -hmm. And so it's just this whole, I just feel like that, that initial momentum just begets more momentum. But anyway, so I've been having all these ideas about my book and, and, um, so I've been texting them to myself, which feels so affirming because when you send a text (laughs) to yourself, immediately you get the text back from yourself. Like, and so it's like, it's, I'm sort of like, is, is this a good idea to have Pierre be afraid of raccoons? And I'm like, so I'll just type Pierre is afraid of raccoons. And then seconds later, an affirmative second text comes in from Chris Beatty saying, Pierre is afraid afraid of raccoons. raccoons. (laughs) Yes. Yes. See, Chris Beatty thinks this is a good idea. Like what? (laughs) I I have done the same thing, but I am such a bear of a little brain when it comes to memory things that oftentimes I send myself the text, I set the phone down, it dings and I go, oh my God, somebody texted me. (laughs) Yeah. That's how long it takes to forget. Yeah. And with such a great novel idea too. Who is this person? I love this guy. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Let me ask you, what is the worst writing advice you've ever been given? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's a great question. I you know, I think a lot about writing advice because I feel like um I love writing advice and I think that we all everybody has learned so many interesting things that work for them. When I think about like bad writing advice, I don't I don't think there is bad writing advice um just because I think every bit of writing advice does end up working for somebody, I mm-hmm. think probably just bad writing advice is advice that is delivered in kind of uh, this idea that what I'm about to say is the only way to do this thing. And th- that's where I think writing advice can kind of go awry because I think um, people like me are very impressionable. <laughs> and if you say it very confidently that this is, this is the only way to do it, I'll just be like, Oh shoot, I guess my way has been, has been wrong. <laughs> and, um, Chris so, Beatty, yeah. you must get up at 5am. Oh, I guess, I guess I'll, guess See? I'll do that. Exactly. That's case in point. Like really, if anybody feeds me Thai food and tells me what to do with my book, I'm going to do it. So, um, so anyway, all, yeah. all writing advice then can be bad advice if it's presented as the law. Yeah. Or the flip side, I think would be all writing advice can be good writing advice when it's presented with a caveat that, Hey, this, this worked really well for me. You know, here's something, but I feel like the problem is that there's so many, there's so much great advice out there that people feel like they can only be heard when they do say like, mm. this is, these five things are the must do's for any writer. You know, and that, and I understand kind of why people do that because you want, you want to kind of get retweeted and you want to whatever. It's it's harder to get to have people pay attention to you if you say, "Hey, these things worked for me. Maybe they'll work for you." So, um, but I do think that there's something. I always love that. I think when people have kind of that sense of, you know, just that that this approach will, your mileage may vary. Like, I think that's kind of the, the truth of all writing advice. I love that. Except for my advice, which, which is, is always un- right. Unshakably right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely true for every single writer <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> of course. Yeah. All right. Yeah. How do you, how do you refill their creative well when you're running dry? Uh, you know, I, I have to say I love trips to contemporary art museums. That sounds like kind of a weird thing, but I just think contemporary art museums are basically just huge 
idea wrenches. Like, I just it's got like, a, I just got a membership to the MoMA. Ah, we it's just, so good. So like, I can, and so I can just walk in and out. Yeah, yeah. And that's the way to experience, I think, yeah. any art museum is just to be able to go in, spend your 40 minutes or 30 minutes mm-hmm. and, and exactly, you just get recharged, you get inspired. There's just so many things that, that are confusing and interesting. And I don't know, I just, I really love contemporary art museums. And I always find myself like I, if I have a notebook with me, I always need to go to the coffee shop after I've spent 30 minutes there and just like write down thoughts. And, um, so I would say that's like a really reliable one for me. Awesome. What secret writing tip of awesomeness did you discover the hard way? Yeah. yeah. So (laughs) when I think of the hard way, I think of novel revision. Like I feel like I, for me, the first drafts, I think just thanks to the accident of NaNoWriMo where I kind of fell into this approach of really turning off that inner editor and really just kind of like focusing on creation instead of perfection. Like I feel like I, First drafts are fun to me. They're always fun. They've always been fun. Even when they're not going well, I still find them, you know, just the, the, that sort of like anything goes dynamic to be very satisfying. And, but novel revisions have always killed me because I'm, I'm a, just a huge perfectionist, like mm. a ridiculous perfectionist. And so I think the, big, the biggest thing that I have learned the hard way is really about novel revisions. And um, for me, it's really important that I – work on story, usually kind of in that Scrivener sort of like zoomed out outline way and get get the math of the story to work out before I dive into actually like, okay, chapter two, um, actually like writing the prose that is going to come out because I just find that I get so caught up in trying to go ahead and like write well and beautifully and have the dialogue be kind of sparkling and then I get to chapter 12 and I realize like none of those things I, I'm not keeping any of the sparkle because I'm not keeping worst. any of chapter two and I just I really I think that tr- the, the biggest lesson is like do not let yourself fall into that that feeling like you have to get the actual sentences right before you feel like you have really gotten the story right. Um, and again, like I think some people are able to just like get both of them right as they go. They tend to take their time and just boom, they're just kind of, they ladder it in and it just works. And that's, that's not me. So if you're, if you're like, I, I reject that. I don't, I, I think that nobody is like that. There's probably nobody two, does that. two people yeah. like that in the world. Let's tell ourselves that anyway. All right, and never have them on this show. Like, no, that's I, the will, important thing. I will they, never. They need to be shunned and, and ostracized. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I think that, that – and that's like the big tip that I tell people um, just as somebody who's like spent, you know, whatever, 15 years now like revising various novels and they kind of get somewhere but then ultimately seem to kind of fall in under their own weight. And I think that my biggest issue is just this one of like really trying to polish the prose before the story arcs are there. And, and it's so, I think it's so saps your, your writing joy because you just are constantly coming into these situations where you just realize like, ah, I just spent, I just dedicated so many hours or days or weeks or months or years that could have been used in, in, in other creative writing ways. Like, I just feel like our creative writing time is so precious. Like we never have enough of it. And, and, and I love the idea of experimenting and knowing that you're going to make mistakes. You're never going to get it right. But I do think you can save or I can save myself months or even like a year of writing time by really not letting myself move into the, that like prose level 
editing until I feel like I have the architecture of the thing there. For me, when I when I make the sentences beautiful and lyrical, I think not only am I just solidly more invested in keeping those in the book because now they're beautiful, but I, I think I actually lose a good overview of what those scenes are doing because great- I'm so in love with them at that point and it makes it so that's, much harder to get rid of. That's a great point. Yeah, because you're not seeing – the utilitarian purpose of the scene anymore. Instead, right. you're seeing that, that beautiful description that you came up with, with yeah. the way, you know, yeah, I think I mean, that's, yep. Yeah. So maybe smart. you knew how bad it was before and now it sparkles. And so you must keep it. Yeah. Like great. That. That's a great, yep. That's another great argument. Yeah. Okay. So on really bad days, when you don't want to write, when you don't want to ever actually see an English word again, what other profession <laughs> do you wish you had? <laughs> Oh, um, God, you know, okay. So this gets into kind of that art museum thing. Like I've always so been in awe of graphic designers, like people who can just do graphic design. Well, it just seems incredible. Just this mix of the, the interplay of, um, illustration and, typeface and layout and ah, it just really feels it it seems so satisfying um so graphic designer seems incredible like i have no no skills in that realm so that would be a very like poor backup job the other one the actual like i think about my like apocalypse skills you know it's like okay so <laughs> so the apocalypse comes and suddenly i need to like actually have some something like the the market for um People revising novels is is now you know no, no nobody cares about my advice on novel revision, and I need to make a living doing something. And I think bike repair would be amazing. Oh. Like I would, and again, I don't know how to do it. I can barely change a flat tire, but like I feel like I would love to take bike repair classes and just be the bike repair guy in the apocalypse. You know, because that's the needed. That is a truly needed position. I will bring my bicycle to you. Thank you. And I, w- I know how to take fiber from animals and plants and make it into clothing. So I think I'll, I'll have a place. See, that's ridiculous. See, you don't you, but it you takes won't a while. need any. It takes a long time. I'd see, I just need to hang around you. Like whatever your apocalypse camp is, I just need to be there. <laughs> see, this is my new thing. My new job is just hanging out with Rachel Heron after the apocalypse is going to be my – that's my like backup job here. Oh, that's no. my, my new, I'm, my new I'm, day job. I, I'm not going to make it long. You don't want to do that. I already, I already know that. In the apocalypse, I'm going to be a wuss. I'm just – What? Just what take, wait, take what? my stuff. I, I – Yeah? No, no. You're oh. just too kind, huh? No, I'm too – oh, I think I'm just too scared. The whole apocalyptic anything just freaks me out, which is why I love to read about it. But, <laughs> oh, oh, so scary. Okay, and can you quick give us a quick craft tip of any sort? Um, Craft tip. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um, oh, Gita. Uh, so here's one, actually, I would love to get your read on this. Um, and this is – so I teach a NaNoWriMo course at Stanford, which you have been a wonderful guest in um, before. And when we do – the last class session is devoted, one, to champagne drinking and two, to talking about novel revision. And so one of the things I tell them is that um, I – when I – finish a, a first draft in kind of NaNoWriMo style, when I st- actually start the second draft of it, I don't keep that – I don't ever go back to that first draft that I wrote. Like I, I reread it and I make notes on it. But when I start writing, I'm not actually – I'm in a new draft and I don't 
copy things over. Wow. It basically is all all fresh. No, and you just blew my mind. That's did I crazy. really? Yeah. Because they also would gasp when I said that. I think because they had just put every every ounce of their their souls into <laughs> like, completing this. Throw challenge. it out. Get yeah. rid of it all. But um, again, this I think this is fits in the mileage may vary category. But for me, like that first draft is such a rough like idea draft. It's really like finding characters, finding conflicts with characters, having a few moments of grace and delight along the way. Mm-hmm. You know, really trying to just rough out that arc. And so I don't really keep any of that prose. And I would say. If you are somebody who kind of has started a revision and, and floundered, um, part of it may be just because you are keeping this – what you know, you're, it's kind of like you were talking before. You're, you already are attached with the way, to the way these, some of these paragraphs have been shaped and some of the chapters have, un, have unfolded that probably don't in your second draft need to do that or shouldn't do that. Um, so in, in essence, you're kind of trying to work within – like the carcass of this <laughs> this dead animal, <laughs> and uh, I think of like the Empire Strikes Back when the Tauntaun maybe fell over, and Luke had to was it Luke or Hans had to had to carve out the guts and climb up into it to stay warm, and it always feels really warm to be up inside of the Tauntaun, but in fact, it, you're probably better off just moving out in, into the cold <laughs> wasteland. Uh, Build and, yourself and, a new Tauntaun. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I really sure. admire that. I think that that I think that that could only help a book. I don't know if I'm brave enough to do it, but yeah. I think it could I don't, only I don't know help if it's a, it. Yeah, I think it really depends on the way you write and the in any issues you've been having. But for me, um, I think just having like that fresh page that is very deeply inspired by this other book. Mm-hmm. You know, having the other draft like open like a screen and you're referring to it. But I think just even copying any of the prose, I just feel like it does for me. It kind of brings these uh, unneeded and kind of mis- often misdirecting sort of anchors that end up sort of dragging the story in an older direction rather than giving room for the new. So that's my craft tip, which may be a horrible idea, but I'm in the spirit. I don't know if I'll ever try it, but I love it. So you get, why don't you try it? My God. Well, you, you know what? Actually, I take it back because I did my, my – ver- the very first time I ever tried to write a novel, I wrote about a girl who owned a gas station. And it was the worst thing ever and it didn't go anywhere. But – um. Five books later, I wrote that story. I never opened the old draft. Yeah. And it was a completely different person. But the but the whole idea behind her dealing with mechanics was all still in there. So I almost yeah. did that, I guess. Yeah. But, I mean, I would say, Rachel, give it a try. You write like three novels a year. Why not just one of them? Like try out this, <laughs> I will. this, this new mind-blowing Chris Beatty technique that is... That I, you, is you tried early mornings for me, <laughs> yes, so I exactly. will try that for you. And if it just if it goes to hell, I'll just grab the old manuscript and go my... Oh, but I'll try it. I yeah. will try it. The Chris Good. Beatty method. Right, and thank you. what would you like to tell us about right now? Where can listeners find you? Yeah, well, so find me at my website where I live 24 hours a day, sleepless and unblinking. <laughs> Tiny um, little Chris Beatty on the screen. Yeah. So um, you can sign up for, I have a mailing list that I, in three years, have never sent out an email to. So this I is was going to say, I've never gotten um, one from it's you. A very, it's a very exclusive mailing list. Um, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, sign up for that. And um, and then, yeah, the I will say, no plot, no problem. Uh, the... 
revised. revised and expanded edition um, came out a year ago, more than a year ago, and is amazing. Um, and it's not amazing because of me. It's amazing because there are people like Rachel Heron. There's so many incredibly talented writers who have contributed tips, advice, and NaNoWriMo survival strategies to it. So um, I would say pick that up um, if it's you own the book. I love that. Thank I love you. That book. I own both versions. It's great. You, as, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, yeah. And I would say other than that, just please someone come finish this novel revision for me. <laughs> you can, you can contact me via my website and just take it, take it from me. And then I can start sleeping in again, like a normal person. <laughs> Do you let yourself sleep in on the weekends? Uh, Sundays are sleeping days, okay. but Saturdays, Saturdays I'm, I'm still up with the chickens. Good for you. I am really proud of you. I have nothing to do with it at all, but I'm still proud of you. You do too. So. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for being a guest. You've been delightful. Thank you for as having always. me. Yeah, this is okay. great. Thank you. Happy all right. writing to you, Chris. Yeah, right on. Okay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of How Do You Write? You can reach me on Twitter, where I live, or Facebook, where I don't, and look for the show notes and more fun at howdoyouwritepodcast.com. You can also support my Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a dollar an essay. Just go to patreon.com backslash Rachel, that's R-A-C-H-A-E-L, and now go to your desk and perform some of your own feats of writing daring do. Create your own process. Get to writing, my friends. My friends.